Hey, good morning, Emmanuel. Welcome to worship today. I think the worship has been really, really powerful. Tomorrow's services are going to be particularly powerful as well as we celebrate God becoming flesh. And as we turn our minds, even at Christmas, the foreshadow of Easter, the coming King. This Advent, I've been in a series every week entitled Simply Jesus. We're living in an ADD culture. You know what that is? You ever seen the movie Up? Squirrel? Right? I mean, our attention is being pulled so many different directions. Some of you are thinking this morning, man, if Pastor Mark goes over, I don't know. I've got like ten things I have to do before the end of the day, you know? But we've been trying this Advent to just have this laser focus on who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, and who we are because of who he is, why he came, and what he did. And so I started first with talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. And what does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? And then we looked at Jesus as the God of second chances. Sometimes we mess up and we think, man, I've blown God's A plan for my life. This is terrible. I'm going to have a terrible rest of my life. I'm not where I should be spiritually and that's it. No, God has many on-ramps to his perfect will for your life. And last week I talked about how Jesus helps us during the difficult seasons of our life. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but the truth is is that life is bittersweet, and many of you, it's not so much. There's family fracture. There's an increased level of stress. There's just a lot of stuff going on in your own heart and in your own family. And so it's challenging, and how Jesus helps us through those difficult seasons. This morning, I want to go back to one of the great I am statements that Jesus made when he was here on this earth. If you were here the first week when I talked about Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus, while he was here, said, I am seven times that are recorded in the Gospels. I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. And, you know, these seven statements. And they're really meant for us to go back to when Moses had his experience with God at the burning bush. And Moses was called by God to go back to Egypt and release and free the Israelites under the bondage of Pharaoh. And Moses said to God, well, who shall I say has sent me? And God said, Oh, tell Pharaoh, I am that I am. And when Jesus says, I am, and makes these seven statements, he's really saying, I I am God himself. And so I want to speak to you this morning out of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. Turn in your Bibles, because we're going to be looking at all 20 verses, but we're not going to read all 20 verses, we're just going to look at verse 12, okay? So verse 12 of John chapter 8 is, I am the light of the world, 
said Jesus. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Okay, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? That's what today's about. What does that mean? And just as important, why is that good news for you? I mean, why is it good news that Jesus is the light of the world? In order to unpack that, I want to tell you two stories. And if you have your Bibles open, you'll see that the first story is found in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 8, and the second story is found in verses 13 through 20 of chapter 8. So I'll start with the end first. Verses 13 through 20 is Jesus having a major tussle with the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law. Here's what happened. Verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees immediately jumped on Jesus and said, how can you say that about yourself? You're testifying about yourself, and we require in the law that there should be two testimonies to the validity and authenticity of a person's claim. And Jesus said, fine, the Father. Well, that didn't satisfy them. And so Jesus is going around and around with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're going at it. So much so that the last phrase in verse 20 says that Jesus was not arrested because his time had not come. But in the middle of this tussle, verse 20 says that all this took place in the temple treasury. Okay, so what? Why does John in his gospel want us to see that statement that all this took place, you know, verses 13 through 20, this argument that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, it all took place in the temple treasury. What's the big deal about that? A little bit of history, hang with me. The temple treasury was a very defined section on the temple mount. You can still see the temple mount today. You can go on your phone right now. Don't do it. But you can go on your phone right now and look up Temple Mount, and you can see a live picture of the Temple Mount where it was all those years ago when Jesus walked this earth. And so the Temple Treasury area was in one of the major courtyards on the Temple Mount, and it was actually called the Courtyard of the Women. That's where women would go to worship the Lord. Now, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that the Lord is saying that women always have to have control of the finances, but that's where the temple treasury was. Now, here's what you need to know that John wants you to know about this major conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the reason why John tells us that it took place in the temple treasury. The Temple Mount, Temple Treasury area, was the highest point in Jerusalem. And on the Temple Mount, in the Temple Treasury, were four 86-foot-high lampstands. On the top of those lampstands were gold bowls, think the Olympics, that had fire burning in them. Okay, what's the big deal about that? 
anywhere you went in Jerusalem, anywhere you went in the surrounding miles around, you'd see these four pillars of fire. And they were meant, they were built there to represent the pillar of fire from the story of the Exodus in Exodus chapter 13. The Bible says in Exodus 13 that God led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he said it within the context of these four pillars of fire that were supposed to represent, if you were a good Jewish person and you were really religious, whenever you went into the temple treasury area, your mind immediately went to, this is the pillar of fire representation. So your mind went back to that story in the Old Testament. And here's what Jesus was saying. I'm the pillar of fire. And the Pharisees freaked out. Because what Jesus was really saying is, I am the manifestation of God himself. Because the pillar of fire in the Old Testament always represented three things. It represented God's presence. It's called a theophany. A physical manifestation of God's presence. And the pillar of fire represented God's protection and guidance. And then it represented God's ability to give you guidance into the future. Those are the three things that the pillar of fire represented. Okay, you got that? Time out. Hold that story. Because now we're going to take a look at the verses prior to verse 12, which is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Early in the morning, the religious leaders and the Pharisees brought this woman who had been caught in the act and brought her to Jesus and threw her down. She was scantily clothed, if clothed at all. And we are meant to see that the man is not there. The Mosaic law said that if, a, if you were caught in the act of adultery, then you'd have to bring the man and the woman, and the Mosaic law said that they should be stoned. We are meant to see that the Pharisees have no desire for justice for this woman. All they have a desire for is to trap Jesus. And they thought that they had gotten the perfect trap for Jesus. Because no matter how Jesus answered, it was going to be the wrong answer. You ever been put in a position like that? Uh, I don't know what to say because anything I say is going to be the wrong answer. They had, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had plotted for maybe days and weeks, maybe even months, trying to get this moment to occur. Maybe they had even stalked the lady all throughout the night. But they threw this lady down in front of Jesus and said, what should we do with her? And what does Jesus do? He bends down and he puts his finger in the dirt. He's doodling in the dirt. And he doesn't say anything. Well, they keep pressing Jesus for an answer, and finally Jesus gets up and he says, fine, go ahead and stone her. But one, the ones who are without sin start first. 
Now, the Greek word used for without sin is a very special word. It means perfect. It means perfection in an absolute way. It means that you have not only never sinned, but you've never been tempted to sin. And then Jesus bends down and starts doodling in the dirt again. And the Scriptures say that one by one, starting with the oldest, they all walked away and left Jesus with this woman by himself. Now, why does it say that the older men left first? That's because the older you get, hopefully the more self-aware you become and you recognize you're not all that. You know, when you're in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, you think you're all that. You think you can conquer the world. You think the rules don't apply to you. Life is simple. I don't know why people are struggling. All you need to do is step one, step two, step three. You'll have a great life if you do that. How many of you discover you get in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s? Life doesn't work like that. Life is much more complex. The dreams that you had when you were teens and 20s, some of them came true, and then some of them did not come true. And so when these older guys walked away, they got it. Because the Bible says there is no one who is righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so these guys just walk away, and Jesus is left with this woman. She's huddled. She's in a pool of tears, frightened out of her mind. Now, here's the question. The first story I told, the story caught, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Why does John put these two stories together? Because he's trying to send us a message. Verses 1 through 11, story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Verses 13 through 20, the tussle with the Pharisees and the pillar of fire. John wants us to see why Jesus being the light of the world is good news, not just for humanity, but for you and for me. I see three things in these stories that make it good news for us. The first is, Jesus always promises to defend and protect you when nobody else notices you or cares. At its core, this is a story, the woman caught in the act of adultery, this is the story about a woman who had been abused, manipulated, marginalized, was being treated as a tool, cruelly, for someone else's benefit. And from Genesis to Revelation, God has promised, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Scripture verses where God says, I will protect those who have been marginalized, abused, the downtrodden, the immigrant, the refugee, everyone who has experienced some form of abuse or manipulation or have been used or thrown away. Jesus says, oh no, I'm the pillar of fire. And I've come to defend you and protect you. 
there are those of us in this room who have experienced abuse on some level at some time in your life. Jesus mourns for that. But he comes to you and says, you come to me and I'll help you get through this. There are some of you who have been thrown away by your parents or your children. Jesus says, I come to you. I will defend you. I will protect you. If you are experiencing any kind of marginalization, any kind of abuse, any kind of loss, any kind of vulnerability, Jesus himself has promised to say, I will take care of you. And I will use my people, the church, to take care of you. Hey, that's why we had Dan Emmer here last week from Worthwhile Wear. We asked Dan to come. He's the executive director that really addresses the issue in Bucks and Montgomery County of human trafficking. Because we want you as a manual church family and us as the church staff, we want to keep human trafficking on the radar because these are folks who are being manipulated, abused, and downtrodden. And they have no voice but the voice that we stand up for and protect and defend them. I also want to say a word to those of you in our church family who English, whose English is not your first language. We have somewhere around 25, 26 different nations, ethnicities and cultures represented in a, in a manual. And I want to say to you that a manual is a safe place. We have made a conscious decision that we want to look like our community. And we want to experience a little bit of heaven on earth right now. And a little bit of heaven on earth is all nations, all peoples coming together. Whether you're a refugee or an immigrant, whether you're from Puerto Rico or from Korea or from Bangladesh or from China or from Guatemala or Honduras, it's the broad spectrum of the kingdom of God. You have a place here. You're seen. But I tell you, it's tough. It's vulnerable being in another culture that's not second nature to you. Some years ago, Holly and I were traveling abroad, and we were in a couple countries in which hardly anybody spoke English. And for the first time in my life, I felt what it must be like to be a minority. Everybody had a different skin color than me. I'd walk down the street and everybody turned and looked at me. Some smiled, many glared. What are you doing here? The kingdom of God is a hospitable place where you are known and given dignity and worth. This is what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. It means that he promises to protect 
and defend you as the pillar of fire. Second, Jesus forgives every sin, every mistake, every failure, and frees you from guilt and shame. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. I uh, sometimes will listen to country music. I have 92.5 on the press button on my radio in the car. Philadelphia country music. And the other day I was singing along the Luke Bryan song, Most People Are Good. And there's some really nice verses to that, but the lyrics of the chorus are this. I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love and ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. I'm singing away in the car to that. People are driving by. Is he on the phone, Ethel? Or is he singing? But then I got thinking. It's a great song. It's a catchy tune. But is it true? I mean, are are people really basically good? You listen to the world, and the world goes, oh, we just need more education. I'm not against education. Oh, we just need to empower these people for this and that. I'm, I'm not against empowering people. But at the end of the day, what's the fundamental issue of mankind, humankind? Because the Bible, even though it's the book of good news and the story of God who loves us, the Bible is not too high on human nature. In fact, Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, we have an incredible ability to deceive ourselves of how good we really are. Question. Why is it so important to see ourselves accurately? Or to see ourselves as the Bible sees us? There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is it so... Is the Apostle Paul cranky? Is he just having a bad day here? You ever have a bad day and you're like, the whole world stinks? Is the Apostle Paul having a bad day? The whole world stinks that day? No. He's actually telling us the truth about us. And why is it so important for us to see the truth about ourselves, that we are fundamentally self-focused, fundamentally self-righteous, and fundamentally selfish? Here's the answer. Because you can't get help if you don't ever acknowledge the problem. You can never go to the doctor to get a cure if you don't acknowledge You're ill. And when it comes to Jesus, you'll never see Jesus as he is meant to be seen if you don't see yourself as you're meant to be seen. 
Jesus is not just a good teacher. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He is the Son of God himself. He's the pillar of fire. Sometimes people say, well, the reason why Jesus was crucified is because people misunderstood him. No, my friend, the reason why Jesus was crucified is because the religious authorities understood completely who Jesus said he was. And everybody in the temple treasury area that day freaked out. Because they said, he's saying he's the son of God. Who who is he to say that? And you know what Jesus says? I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. Boom! The hammer comes down. What he was saying is, I know who I am in God. I I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And what you say about me, it'll never matter. Because I know who I am. You know, God wants you to get to the point in your own life where you have that kind of confidence. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about a quiet sense of confidence that says, I know who I am in Christ. I'm not perfect. I have many flaws. But I know where I'm going. And I'm good with that. When Jesus said to this woman, neither do I condemn you, what he was really saying is, I'm letting you out of the penalty box. I'm forgiving you of your sins. And I can do that because I am special and I am unique. And I am God Himself. We talk about our ability to forgive ourselves, and I think that you should. I think that you should forgive yourself. But even beyond that, it's more important that you experience the forgiveness of God. Because when you experience that, you experience a release of guilt and a lifting of the shame. It's not in Scripture here, but you know that this happened. When Jesus said to this woman, neither do I condemn you, maybe, just maybe, for the first time in her life, her head began to lift up. Somebody sees worth in me. I have dignity. I have value. Somebody sees me beyond an abuse or being manipulated or as a tool, and you can hear and feel hope rising inside of her. That's exactly what happens the more you walk with Jesus, and you experience this release of guilt and shame. What is shame? It's an odd mixture of failure and pride. Failure says, I did something wrong. Pride says, I can't believe I did it. Have you ever said that to yourself? You ever done something that you knew was wrong and you said to yourself, man, I can't believe I did that again. I promised God I would never do that. And then I did it again. Jesus came to lift the shame. You know how shame is lifted? Ironically, when you humble yourself before God and say, I agree with you and your assessment of me I can't save myself, but I can rely on your grace to receive forgiveness and cleansing. Three, Jesus believes in you that you can change with his help and live a different, better life. Verse 11, go and sin no more. 
Sometimes we just need to have somebody believe in us. The world can be a lonely place. Sometimes we feel like we're just kind of out there and nobody understands us. Maybe even in our family, nobody understands us. And we just need to have somebody say, you can do it. I believe in you. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to the woman caught in the act of adultery. You can do this. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not condemn the woman, but she didn't condone her sin either. And that's an important distinction. Some people have read this scripture passage and said, well, you see there, Jesus didn't condemn the woman. He didn't condemn her for adultery, so it must be okay to have sex outside of marriage. It must be okay to live an adulterous lifestyle. No, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is actually telling the woman to repent. Go and sin no more. Luke chapter 13, verse 3 says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus said that. Do you know that 55 times in the New Testament, we are called to repent. Repent is a spiritual U-turn. Stop, turn your life around, and go in another direction. And you know what Jesus says to you? You can do it. I believe in you. You were made for better things. Like the pillar of fire in the Old Testament, representing God's presence and His holiness. The reason why God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt is because He wanted to create a people wholly unique to the earth. A righteous people. A holy people. Paul picks up on this. Remember back in November I preached a series called Peculiar? We are a holy people, a unique nation called from the earth. And so as the pillar of fire, God was saying to the Israelites, you can be different. I've called you to be different. I've called you to be holy. The world and the culture says, live your life that way. Oh, no, no, you're my people now. You live your life this way. And what he was saying to the woman that day is, you can do it. Go and sin no more. And he was calling her out of her darkness into the light of his grace. And he was saying, I will guide you. And I'll show you where to go. And I'll show you what to do. I'll show you the kind of life that you need to live. Now, I don't know what kind of darkness some of you may be in today. Let me just throw out a few. Some of you may be in darkness because someone has thrown you away. abused you, or manipulated you. Some of you are in darkness because you feel like damaged goods. Oh man, I'm divorced, I went through this, and I went through this, and I went through this, and my life is damaged permanently. No, it's not. You're not that powerful. You cannot self-inflict a wound so deep that God cannot heal. You're just not that strong. Maybe you recognize that you are a sinner, meaning you know that you have done things that are wrong. This is a moment where you, like the woman caught in the act of adultery, get up and go and sin no more. 
Do you know why John links these two stories together? The woman and the tussle with the Pharisees and puts square in the middle, I am the light of the world. Do you know why he does that? He's saying to you and me, we are all the woman caught in the act of adultery. Every single one of us. And instead of Christ condemning us, he comes to us and says, I believe in you. Come on. I've got a better way. You follow me. Maybe you need to have someone believe in you so you can have a fresh start and a second chance. That second chance and fresh start is the light of the world, the pillar of fire who defends you, protects you, forgives you, releases you of guilt and shame and says, I believe in you. Come on, let's go. So when I was a kid growing up, we would always decorate our Christmas tree with these gaudy, different color lights. You know, the kind of the bulbs that are like that big? Come on, how many of you still do that? Somebody in the first service was like, yes, I still do that. Hey, it's good. It, everything's retro, right? It's coming back. You know, in five years, it'll be the gaudy lights on everybody's tree. But for right now, most people, I think, have these clear little lights Hundreds of them that just wrap around their tree. Maybe your tree's like that. So I got thinking this week, how can we really drive home this idea of Jesus being the light of the world? So I went out and I bought hundreds of these little replacement lights. And I have them right here up on the altar. And so in just a moment, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to give the benediction in a moment. But after that, I want you to consider coming up and just picking up one of these little replacement lights. I mean, they are so small, right? And they're pretty sturdy. Don't worry about, you know, you're going to cut your hand on them, you know, anything like that. They're fine. And here's what I want you to consider doing just over this next week. You don't have to do it forever, just this next week. Why don't you take this little light, little bulb, and just stick it in your pocket, or put it in your purse, or put it on your bureau, put it in your sock drawer, put it in your car, just some place that you'll, you know, notice it. And whenever you're feeling down, whenever you're feeling like nobody believes in me, whenever you're feeling manipulated, whenever you're feeling like your sin is too great and God can't forgive it, you just pull out this little tiny light and you say to yourself, no, Jesus is the light of the world. I even have one better for you. I bet you some of you have some Christmas tree lights that are blown out. I mean, I'm not taking these home with me. So if you want to hang around after the service because you have like ten little lights out in your tree, feel free. And every time you look at your tree over these next few days before you put it away, you just say to yourself, Jesus is the light of my world. Would you stand, please? Jesus, we are so grateful for the good news 
that you are the light in dark places. That you are the pillar of fire that protects and defends that always walks with us your presence that always guides us if we'll allow you to now over these next 24 to 48 hours we're going to step back into a blizzard Some people are going to be like, man, I have 10 things to do by the end of today. And I have 15 things to do on Monday. I don't even know if I can make it to Christmas Eve service. Okay, God, would you sink this truth deeply into our hearts? You are the light of the world. And you don't need anything else but just me. So God, I pray a benediction of blessing over everybody here. May their lives be particularly full. And for those who are living in brokenness at this moment, would you bring a whole host of angels around them that will defend and protect. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow, 4 or at 6. Come on up and pick up your little light.